listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Alright everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are here. We are ready to go. Um, this week we, we uh, well, hang on. Let me. Let me inter- I always do this because I'm always in such a hurry, and I, you know, I forget that you know this might be some people's first listen to the show. So let me let me stop for a second, take a breather here. I just had a cup of coffee, so that I already in third year. Yeah. Me and Will just did off the air. We just did a review of Only God Forgives. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, let me let me slow down here. Uh, I am Sammy, and across the border from me, my good pal, Big Willie. Yo. There we go. Now, this week we were supposed to have Zach with us, uh, Lightning Bug's lair, Zach, the Lightning Bug himself. Um, we might still have him with us, but right now he's not here. So, And we do this early in the morning, so he might still be, you know, asleep or something. It was his birthday yesterday. In all fairness to him, it was his birthday yesterday. We don't know how he celebrated. We'll assume uh, strawberry pie and hookers. But, That's right. Uh, he partied like it was 1999. Yeah, yeah. But uh, who knows? But uh, if he does pop in, we'll uh, we'll bring him in. But uh, if not, we got to record because we got to move. We got to move, man. We got to move. We're like liquids. That's we right. can't. We can't be contained. <laughs> yeah. Um. But this week uh, we are doing uh, Brian De Palma's Raising Cain. Uh, this came up uh, just kind of randomly because uh, I, I and I'll be honest, I, I just wanted to revisit this this week. And uh, Will's like, you know, pick another film for Zach with Zach's pick, and I'm like, well, what the hell? Why don't we do this? I mean, De Palma's always an interesting conversation, so that's what we're doing. De Palma was. Um, had you seen that before? Or was this your first time? No, I had seen it, but oh. I hadn't seen it a lot. I'd seen it once, and I'm pretty oh. sure I'd seen, yeah, I'd seen all of it. Yeah, but I wasn't one that I really remembered much. Yeah, yeah, but I'd only seen it once too, so that'll be interesting to talk about. And then we're doing one that uh, I, I got to be honest, I'd never heard of or seen. Uh, I'm pretty sure Will had never seen it or heard yeah. of it either. Uh, 1988 Sons of Steel. This is from uh, this is Zach's pick, uh, directed by one Gary L. Keedy. Uh, this is uh, quote unquote exploitation, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, trust me, there's plenty to talk about with that one. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is what we are doing. Again, if uh, the lightning bug pops in, we'll, uh, we'll 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 patch him in, so to speak, to use the uh, the tech technological vernacular. <laughs> we'll, we'll patch him into the call. But uh, what have you been watching? I had a decent week, despite um, despite being busy and us being a day earlier than we normally record. Yeah. Uh, last Sunday, me and the family went to see Despicable Me Two. And I'd not seen part one. Part one looked appealing enough to me, and I'd seen a few minutes of it here and there. But uh, we went to see it. We had some passes for the movie. So the kids really wanted to see it. And uh, we went, and I really liked it. Nice, nice. I laughed a lot, <laughs> which is kind of rare for a kid's film. I wouldn't say it's kind of a different beast than the Pixar stuff. The Pixar stuff kind of has a grand kind of feel to it it's it's kind of its own thing but mm-hmm, yeah. I, I really i don't know what studio even made this but i really liked it and uh, is that dreamworks maybe maybe dreamworks they, you know i'll tell you they've they've done a few real good ones lately it seems um yeah. just a first blush but it it's it works man it's uh 
the it's really fun. It's really funny, and I know Paul the Red Waffle quite dug it too. Because there's a lot of stuff for adults now. Like the villain's name is El Macho, <laughs> and he's a he is a former uh, luchador. Nice. Um, and he there's a scene with him skydiving on the back of a shark with dynamite in his hands. Nice. So I just laughed out loud, like a macho. He, he does this little voiceover thing. It's it's pretty good. Uh, I liked it a lot. So if you got to watch a movie with your kids and they're young, you can do worse than Despicable Me Too. Good. It's good so, to hear. Very good to hear. Now, the uh, back end of the evening saw something just a little different, but equally as colorful. Uh, it's a film that has divided um, our circles as well as circles that kind of run in similar circles to us. And it's Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers. Ah, yes. This would be an interesting yeah. to double with, uh, as far as visually, maybe uh, Only God Forgives, which I watched this week. So oh, man, we got to do that double. I really <laughs> loved Spring Breakers. Oh, nice, nice. That's on my queue, obviously, to watch. So Yeah, I really liked it a lot. I think there's a lot to be said. I think Corinne always, it seems like with this material, has approached things with an insider's access, but as a, an impartial outsider. He never feels like he's... Even though this film feels like it's commentary on a certain um, generation and a certain look at, at this this subculture within a generation, it never feels like he disrespects his audience. I mean, he observes it and he reports things, and you, but he he look he doesn't doesn't take sort of pot shots at his at his subject matter. Right. Even with Gummo, I felt like it doesn't. As we reviewed on the show, it doesn't really. Um, uh, judge it's it's um it's topic or it's um it's subjects yeah subjects there we go yeah i'm about a quarter of a cup in so i'm still just chugging along here but uh, I, I really quite liked it and it will be on my top 30 for the year it's very very good and nice nice i feel as a 33 year old man kind of gross for saying this but i really like selena gomez uh no, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Uh She's legal, she's legal. Yeah. So I don't want to be one of those guys. She turned 18 today. She, she's uh she's very cute and uh I'm sure she'll get much better looking as she gets older. Um I tease my wife all the time because she likes her new song. Well, so, so does my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tease her all the time about that. But no, I think she's a very rather attractive young lady and I got to be honest with you, all the girls in the film uh from all the promotional material and stuff all look uh rather lovely. I mean, well yeah, the, Corinne's <laughs> wife isn't really my type, if I'm yeah. going yeah, yeah. but I mean, girls in bikinis and running shoes kind of works for me. Yeah, it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to turn me away, you know, no. so. <laughs> no, I'm going to wear those pink ski masks with the bikinis. It's a wonderful visual for, as a red-blooded male and as a cinephile. Yeah, yeah there you go. So, and Franco does knock it out of the park. I mean, he's really, really good in it. And I think he's a young actor that's taking a lot of chances. I mean, he's, he's kind of working all over the place. So kudos to him. I think when he's hung him up he'll uh he'll have had a pretty interesting resume yeah indeed indeed yeah so maybe maybe that's the double for the uh only god forgives show <laughs> lots to talk about we'd have to get an extra hour probably on that show boy um then i went to instant i was in the mood for something a little different so i went to brazil and a film that i was trying to track down before year and last year called neighboring sounds it's about oh, yeah, uh yeah, yeah i saw you watch this yeah but a few days in the life of um an upper middle class uh, condo in in Brazil, not in like Sao Paulo or or Brasilia or anything, but um, just in a, I don't know, some other smaller city in Brazil. It's uh, it's okay. It's a little bit inert and a little bit dry, especially I guess after watching Spring Breakers. Um, but it's still quite good, and 
it's it's worth everyone's time. It's on instant, but um, it's yeah, just a little 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 dry for my taste. It wouldn't have made my top thirty for sure. Nice. Uh, I don't know I why. I don't know why I said nice to that, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> then I I, uh, I went back to a film I'd seen probably as a, maybe a sixteen eighteen year old. Which I quite liked at the time, but it was on instant. Uh, it was something American, I, so I decided to do the Crossing Guard, the Sean Penn film. Ah, yes, yes. I always thought this one was overlooked. Uh, yeah, there's two really good. I saw you have one performance, but I always I really like David Morse in that film too. Mm-hmm. Oh, a big time man. He's real good, and he's a guy that I've always liked. But I feel like he's he doesn't always get a chance to shine unless it says like second banana. Yeah, he's almost always second banana, which is kind of unfortunate. But I mean. He he he. Uh, I mean, he does make an impression though when he's on screen, so that's that's a good thing. Oh, for sure. I know Sean it's, Penn's a big fan of his, and that's the reason why I put him in the film. So yeah, he also uses him in Indian Runner too, which is yeah. which is another one I I really like, and I got to revisit like all that Penn stuff. Yeah, that's got a that's got some Vigo dick in it. That one does. Yeah, man. Vigo, yeah, man. Vigo's never afraid to whip that puppy out. No, little Vigo, little Vigo. <laughs> but uh, it's, not, but it's, not, it's it, not very little, in all honesty. But you know, hey. Oh, that thing's hanging low and in the uh, in the sauna fight in uh, Easter Promises, man. Yeah, it is. Talk about hot rocks. <laughs> so yeah, but it's uh, Crossing Guard's really good. I mean, it's it's a bit uneven at times, but the this Jack it, Jack's really great. And, and as I've said before, I feel like Jack's probably my favorite actor ever. Um, this is before he gets into kind of Jack caricature mode with the sunglasses and the kind of cool stuff. Like he's. He's really broken down in this, and the, the scenes, the emotional scenes, this film are real sharp. Yeah, like they're they're just perfect. Um, but some of the musical cues are, are just bizarre, and and some of the some of the technical and musical decisions and sort of aesthetic decisions do reek of nineties. Yeah, yeah. Which you know kind of was a bit distracting, but on the whole, it's still a very very good film. Like you know, like an eight point two five for me. So nice. it held. It I knew it was going to hold up on a revisit, but I'm glad I got a chance to revisit it as an adult because the themes. Speak to me more, right? Right. So I'd love to do uh, maybe Indian Runner or the or the Pledge or something one day with you on the show. I think it'd be a good discussion. No, yeah, definitely. I, I like his films. Uh, I liked uh, Into the Wild quite a bit. That yeah, more recent film he did. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, then I I ended up back in Brazil that night and I did a film that I'd never even heard of before, but uh, I quite liked. It was the thing where when I go on my Netflix, I look at the posters and sometimes I'll just say, oh, this looks interesting. And it was one called Bye Bye Brazil. And uh, it's it's a really, really, really fascinating film. It's, um, speaking of Jodorowsky, this one feels a little more Jodorowsky. It's it's a very much a Brazilian film. I did some, you know, it's one of those things, sometimes you see a film that, that grabs you and you you read into it more. It's a, a very, very Brazilian film made by a Brazilian filmmaker about a kind of commentary on Brazil's industrialization kind of moving into the modern world and and uh, what have you just like you know Paolo Sorrentino some of his Italian films feel very Italian there's references that we as outsiders aren't going to necessarily get mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um, it's still a very good film it's about a traveling troupe of uh, performers uh, like sort of a magician of sorts uh, a strong man and a uh, rumba dancer, an exotic rumba dancer, and the three of them tour around in like their little, um, their little kind of wagon around the countryside of Brazil as TV and technology is infiltrating and knocking down the forests, and and they it's them trying to carve out a living. Um, so it's kind of coming here in Brazil and and humanity and so forth. But it's a good film. It's on instant. So bye bye Brazil, and I've been playing the lead song, like the the title song, a lot. Actually, just because I'm into. I've, 
really into um, Bossa Nova these past few years. So, yeah. And then I finished my week with a completely different film called Special Forces. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's an awesome Fabian A++++ special. A little Marshall Teague. Little Marshall Teague, it's great. He's uh, the leader of kind of like a Delta Force in this, and I think uh, Florentine Isaac Florentine, who's, who I'm a pretty big fan of, he missed the boat by not having Teague out of the line. I used to fuck guys like you in basic training. Yeah, no, yeah, I think Zach Kelly just popped online, so oh, hey. we might get him here in a second. Yeah, but, just to uh, give you a heads up. So yeah, okay. Nice, nice. It's a very good action film, lower budget, but I, I think it. You can tell Florentine's got an eye for action. As with all his films, I feel like he shoots the action really well. So it's a good film. You could probably pick it up cheap on DVD. So um, there you go. That was my week. Oh, hey now. There, I, I bet I know who that text is from. Man. Yeah, you bet you do. <laughs> um, I'm gonna add him. What does he say? <laughs> I, I literally just rolled out of bed, slept right through three alarms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is he ready? Uh, <laughs> Tell him we're doing the intro. We can give him a few minutes, and he can come in for the reviews if he wants to. Yeah, live on air editing. Yeah, I'm That's not. Right. Gonna, I'm not gonna cut it out. Why should I? That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> Okay, he is. I'll just ask him. Yeah, just tell him I'll call him in a few. He'll just pop right in for the reviews. He wants to get a cup of sang gone in his house, Cody's. Yeah. Get in here in a few minutes. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, so that's a good week. I, I didn't get a whole lot in, but I, I had a good time with what I did get in. I can tell you that. I watched. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, baby. You know, that balls deep. Mm. Uh, Zach is ready to go whenever you are. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and add him now. What the hell? Add him to the call, damn it. I hate <laughs> sometimes Skype and me do not like each other. <laughs> oh let's see, here we go. Da 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 da. Anybody that's done this knows my pain. Here we go. Where's he at? Name starts with a Z, gotta scroll all the way down. Boom. Dialing. I love his uh, avatar. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Cage on an octopus. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. So oh man. But uh, yeah, my week was pretty good. Uh, but there's only a couple films. Like I said, about four films is what I average, and that's what I got in again this week. And um, there he is. There he <laughs> is. Cup of Sanka in hand. His house coat's open. No oh, underwear yeah. on. He's good to go. <laughs> All right. I was just getting ready to go into what I've been watching, so uh, I'll do that real quick, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll ask you, good sir. All right. All right. So um, I checked out a few things. Uh, GI Joe Retaliation is uh nice. the first thing i checked out now i didn't love the first gi joe but i didn't despise it either i had a good time with it it was kind of silly and and goofy and uh, i kind of wish they would have stuck to the old school gi joe lasers and things like that uh but that's just me being nostalgic obviously remember the cartoon man? there's always yeah. lasers being shot all over the place <laughs> with, with the parachute the dudes in the parachutes when <laughs> yeah. the thing got shot down yeah yeah but this one's uh this one's fun as well uh kind of goofy um the Rock always makes everything. I told, I think I told Will, The Rock always makes everything about a point better than what it should be for me, <laughs> because yeah. I just think he's very charismatic and, and a lot of fun to watch. And he's good in this film. There's some ham-handed stuff, uh, but it, but it's okay. Uh, the Bruce Willis stuff is kind of, you know, it's there, but it's not too invasive, which I appreciated. You know, it's obvious that they just kind of brought him in, and it's just a little bit of a thing. But uh, that that's okay. Um, because that could have been bad. That could have been, you know, star take over the movie type stuff, which thankfully it's not. 
Um, but it, it, but it's okay. It's uh, the action's kind of cool. Uh, there is a great action set piece uh, that I agree with Neck on. The uh, there's a mountainside fight involving Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and a bunch of ninjas and stuff. Uh, the Riz is in it, and it is pretty painful in spots. But what they did with the Riz that was smart was they did most of his dialogue, and they didn't have the camera on him. <laughs> So instead, you get this very thick, like uh, New York accent of this, uh, you know, blind master, which is kind of funny. But uh, uh, it, it's it's silly. But if you if you had an okay time or a good time with the first one, I don't see how you couldn't like this one because it's the same film, really. I mean, it's it's just kind of fun. Um, there are some, I think, there's some casting issues in the film, but yeah, The Rock makes it worth watching at least once. I would say looks great on Blu-ray too. I don't always say that, but. These damn new films and Blu-ray, man, they they really kind of give you the chubby, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I think you know what I'm saying, because I just said it. So there you go. Yes. Uh, the only other thing I watched was a little movie. I watched a film, as Alex would say. A little, In a world. <laughs> I watched a movie. Um, this movie is called Only God Forgives. This uh, film that's just really popping around the social networks. And uh, really kind of been the buzz film of the last couple weeks, I would say. Uh, I checked it out, and I gotta say, man, I quite dug it. Liked it a lot. Actually, I loved it. I'll be honest with you. It's uh, it's wonderful. I had some issues, uh, but uh, you know, I won't get into that now. But because uh, it, you know, it'll le- the problem with this film is if you get into the issues, it leads to discussion. And we'll, and I know me and Will will just start going again because we the <laughs> we were talking yeah. about it before we started recording. So. Uh, maybe, uh, knowing us, we send to review everything Refn does, it seems. So, uh, maybe at some point we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. I think we're trying to set something up. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. We talked a little bit about maybe doubling it up with, uh, Spring Breakers. I don't know. Uh, Loaf wanted to do a round table with Only God Forgives, which could be interesting as well. So we'll see. But yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, Refn still works for me and the film worked for me quite a bit. So yeah, good stuff, man. So Zach, what have you been watching lately? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I also saw G.I. Joe. Oh, which, uh, nice. <laughs> uh, I, I, you pretty much said exactly what I thought. Um, I, and I'm with you. I want the lasers and the bailing out of the planes. And, <laughs> and Cobra Commander ought to be like a screechy, like, rawr, like yeah, this yeah. thing where he's like got this gravelly badass voice is yeah. not working for me. Um, so, yeah, but you're right on about that one. Um, I watched Frankenstein's Army, which was um, Ooh, pretty yeah. good. Um, the big problem in there is that you know it, it works as a found footage movie, but the found footage looks way too clean. Uh-huh. So it's kind of hard to suspend your disbelief. But the monsters in the movie look really like off the wall excellent. Um, I really like the creature design, very steampunk kind of inspired. Um, I saw Hell Baby. Oh. Which was not as good as I wanted it to be. <laughs> um, I I just I just I love Reno nine one one. I love Tom Slimmon Lennon and uh, Ben Garant, and I really thought you know this would be hilarious. They're going to do a horror thing, and then it was just like I smiled a lot. Yeah, it just never could get around to like laugh. Mm. I feel you. I, I yeah, I know how that goes. Um. Couple of, or last weekend, I, I went to a uh, a convention we had in town, and I, I saw the the, uh, the world premiere 
of a film called The Gospel According to Booze, Bullets, and Hot Pink Jesus. Oh, well, that's an original title, to say the least. Um, This is actually an indie movie out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and I met these guys several years back, and they they made three film three short films. They've edited into one film that's going to be coming out under this title, and uh, it's basically a very Twilight Zone inspired kind of. There is a hot pink Jesus statue, and everybody thinks it'll give them fame and fortune, and it, it goes the other way generally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, pretty pretty good little flick. If you, if you ever get a chance to to watch it, it's, uh, it kind of you know exists in kind of a world between like Russ Meyer and the Cohen Brothers. Oh, nice. so uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a nice little effort, especially for an indie. Um, hard hard to find one that's of much quality. And uh, I also saw this movie that I don't know if anybody's heard of, but I watched Only God Forgives. <laughs> nice. I mean, you were on the same page a lot this week, obviously. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, you like we can't really get into that because we would be talking about it all day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just an incredibly visually awesome movie, and one that I'll probably rewatch. I don't know as much as Drive, but probably close. Nice. Nice. Well, that's a compliment. I mean, you yeah. know, to rewatch something is, you know, I mean, in this day and age when there's so much to watch, to to want to rewatch a film is is a rarity. Yeah. I got to be honest. <laughs> well, there's not many things that are as visually as striking or as like interesting to try to like peel back the layers on. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That is definitely true. So is that everything? Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been watching. That's what my recent stuff. Nice, nice. All right, so we're going to take a short break, kind of gather our uh, wits here, because uh, we just added uh, the bug here. <laughs> so so uh, we're going to see what we're going to do. Uh, which film do you guys want to talk about first, by the way? The, uh, I will defer to our yeah. guest. Um, let's do Raising Cane first. Okay, all right. We'll do Raising Cane. We will be back right after this. One, two, three, cuatro. Bomboleo. What's up, my noogies? This is Michael Ravenshadow from the Trick or Treat Radio podcast. All right, I'm here to talk to you about my buddies, the Mill Creeps. And I don't care if you live in Hawaii or the great state of Canada. Let me tell you something. Podcasts are the same all over the world, except for the Mill Creeps. So listen, why don't you download the Mill Creeps show? But listen, turn the fans on, all right? So what I want you to do, put your fans on, turn the Hot Pockets on the microwave turn it up to high and download the mill creeps okay maybe get your boys over the house maybe you can help you paint the deck maybe you can just paint each other you know it's crazy it's sleazy it's uh, a little bit scary and uh just do that so uh that's what i'm doing what am i doing i'm putting dmx right on right now and i'm going to listen to uh some mill creeps download the mill creeps on itunes stitcher radio or milkcreeps.libsyn.com
All right, I can't think of a track that's more Raising Cane than that. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Nice. laughs> little, uh, yeah, little shaking the booty over here, getting a little, you know, I'm throwing up some gang signs even. A little it, bit. It's become a thing now for Sammy and I to twerk on our desks so, yeah. in the breaks. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just over here putting baby oil all over the <laughs> so. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I have this vision of you wearing that set house coat with like a banana hammock on now the baby oils on the chest. And that, that's about go. accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, and it should be said we didn't get to say it, um, other than few through a few keystrokes. So happy, uh, happy birthday! I know it was yesterday. Yeah, when, yeah. Oh, I just you. wish you a happy birthday, dude. That's probably why I overslept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all, all that strawberry pie. Yeah, yeah I know all that pie. God, it'll weigh a guy down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah happy uh, birthday, and like you know, happy five year anniversary on the blog, and oh, thank you. Yeah, all that good stuff, man. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and, and if we didn't say it, on, we were just talking about this. The unfortunate thing about Facebook is, is sometimes when you're on your phone as much as Will and I, that you don't see other birthday notices. Uh, like I'll see like some people's, and I don't see everybody. So I always feel like I've you know people might think we're forgetting them, but we are not forgetting them. Obviously, it's a fucking Facebook thing. So <laughs> it is what it is. All right, so we are going to talk about uh, Raising Cain, which is a Brian De Palma film. From uh, the year of nineteen ninety and two, yeah. So this is a, this is going to be an interesting conversation. I'd be, I'd be I'll be curious where we stand on this one. So, um, does anybody want me to synopsize? Who wants to take the lead on this thing? Anybody? Anybody? Game? Uh, Zach, did you want to lead on this or the other one, if any? Uh, I'd like to lead on <coughs> Sons of Steel. There we go. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll lead on this then. That's fine. All right, cool. Hang on, let me uh, synopsize for you a little bit. Uh, Jenny Nix, wife of eminent child psychologist Carter Nix, which is a great name, by the way, becomes increasingly concerned about her husband's seemingly obsessive concern over the upbringing of their daughter. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, there's a little bit more there, obviously, but uh, we're going to stop there. Large William, I know me and you both had seen this film once. How many times have you seen this, uh, Zach? I'd seen it once, but it had been years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think everybody's kind of like that because I think it's one of those ones you see one time and you just don't see it again. So, and I'm the same way. I saw it back in '92 or '93 on VHS, mm-hmm. and I uh, haven't seen it since. So I kind of wanted to revisit it, and we needed a film for, to do for this show. So there you go, Large William. What'd you think? Well, I was like you'd said, keen to revisit it, considering it'd been a while, and I didn't remember a whole lot other than. The lunacy of John Lithgow. Um, <laughs> it's this is what can be classified as late cycle De Palma. What's interesting, though, I I wanted to bring up his IMDb just to see um, where exactly it lied in late in the cycle. And right after this, he made Carlito's Way and a Mission Impossible. Yeah. So it's it's kind of fascinating that um, he still had a couple uh, interest. I've never seen Mission Impossible, so I'm going on on sort of the consensus. But um, yeah, I mean, not a lot. Of, not a lot of De Palma in Michigan. <clears throat> Miss, it Miss, doesn't Miss. look to be. It, it seemed like he was an odd choice for that. But yeah, well, I think you know his career. That's when his career. Well, I mean, he'd already done it with the Untouchables, right? But there's some De Palma in on the Untouchables. But I think that you know he had obviously, and we'll talk about this. You know, he's got his tricks. He's got his things he likes to do. And yeah, his fixations, and uh, occasionally he gets to do those. But then occasionally, to keep working, I think in Hollywood, he uh, you know turns over and does the commercial stuff, right? So 
Yeah, because he had a run where it was Mission Impossible, Snake Eyes, Mission to Mars. I mean, yeah. those three are such a sort of anonymous yeah. summer fair. Yeah, um, Snake Eyes is probably more De Palma than the other two. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it has yeah. its moments. Yeah, 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 for sure. But um, yeah, this film, I, I was just kind of curious to see as a late fire because I, I think we all have revisited his his early stuff. I think De Palma up to you know, and through sort of 87 with Untouchables, which still feels a little bit less De Palma, but still there's De Palma. And I, I think up until that point, a lot of his stuff has been revisited by a lot of us, a lot, because that, that run through the 70s into the early 80s is as good a run as, as a genre filmmaker's had. Yeah. Really fantastic stuff. So um, it was curious to look at this, uh, right, you know, uh, post that run and and to look at a film that has a you know, pretty interesting cast. Lithgow is someone who... De Palma was always used to great effect, um, so it was nice to see him get a lead outside of something comedic. Lolita Davidovich, who worked a lot in the decade, and for um, uh, De Palma to bring back Bauer, who doesn't get a lot of work. Uh, strangely, I've always kind of liked him, not to say he's he's the thespian of our time, but... He's got a look. Um, he's got a look, and I think he, if he, I think he was used pretty well. Um, terrible accent aside in Scarface, <laughs> I think he was... Wait, are, you, are you telling... Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me there's terrible accents in Scarface? <laughs> Come on now. Plural. Plural. <laughs> yeah. What um, you talking about, me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it was a pleasant surprise for me, to see, being a, a, a original and OG 90210 fan, to see Andrea Zuckerman... Uh, yeah, Carteris show up in this with a strong fringe game, but yeah. I'll get to that. And I got to say, uh, I always had a thing for her. I did too, and I always felt weird after the fact looking at it now. Like I, I always seem to like the 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 wet blankets. Like I loved um, I loved Elizabeth Berkeley on on Saved by the Bell. Yeah, yeah. I loved Lucy on the Peanuts. Yeah, and I liked Zuckerman, who was kind of a wet blanket kind of yeah. nerd on. Um, not a tune also. I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. Mm. But uh, yeah, shrill sort of women or nerds. I don't know. <laughs> um, my wife's neither. Um, yeah, there you go. She may be loud, but uh, she's <laughs> yeah, she's not those things. But anyway, um, Peter Donaggio's back to score this film, and I uh, I can't remember what film we'd covered. <laughs> Donaggio had scored it, but Donaggio. Speaking of late cycle, late cycle Donaggio is, and I, I have to fault De Palma for this. I'm going to assume being the director. But Dinajo uh, scores it, which in name recognition works great because he's, you know, a, a great composer with a good, pretty good track record. But um, he scores this film, and I don't think he does a very good job. But okay. I, I, I like the giallo S stuff. <clears throat> the, I agree. That the, stuff's much better. That, that stuff. It, the the scores than this stuff. The, yeah. Like from, from Obsession. I think he scored Obsession. Yeah. Um, but from Obsession, I'm just very overwrought, overblown. Mellow, heavy melodrama that kind of misses the mark as far as what I think it needs to do as far as mood and tone for the film that he's yeah. scoring. But one of the interesting things, for. yeah, one of the interesting things about Pino Donaggio is he doesn't watch the films he scores. It's evident with this. Yeah, so he, so he's one of those uh, composers who just kind of, you know, he he he's he's odd that way, uh, you know, because it seems to me being an ex musician and sort of a musician still, I, I think I would want to see the visuals. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I eat to each their own. Um, I like the score. Uh, I don't know why, but I think it's because of this yellow influence uh, that you kind of feel in it in bits and pieces. Now, I don't like the overwrought stuff when it starts getting yeah. real symphonic, but I do like yeah. the Hitchcockian Italian type stuff toward the toward the uh, the beginning and like the first half. 
see some of that stuff. It, it it's very evident he does he has that method of doing things where he doesn't watch the first because some of the stuff that doesn't really work. It's almost like De Palma had to use a piece. Like just say he had ninety minutes of Donaggio to music to use. It's like there was parts where at some point parts were going to be kind of choice cuts for the scene, but other parts just yeah they're too overwrought and they just don't really work and they kind of kill the mood of what I think is happening in the scene. And I've become a lot more aware of that kind of stuff as I've become more of kind of an armchair critic is mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. how, how the music in a film can really impact, enhance or detract from what's going on in the scene. And there's yeah, moments where it feels like that. Yeah, I um, should say that I don't know if Danaggio did that for this one, but I do know that I've read before that he doesn't always watch the visuals and score stuff. So I'm willing to bet he kept that with this. <laughs> yeah. He's a um, he's a character, Danaggio. That's what I, I've read interviews with him and people talking about him stuff, and they say he's pretty, you know, he can be uh, a bit over the top and tyrannical. Nice. So nice. Uh, what's always strange to me is to see Lithgow with hair. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, you mean on the you mean on the crown, right? On the crown of his head. Well, yes. Yeah, because he's okay. always he's always seemed to be balding, right? So. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, he has. So it's always very strange to see. I can't think of another actor like that. But someone's opening a Zagnut bar right now as we speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's just it's always yeah peculiar to see him with Sarah with with Sarah with uh, with hair. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like um, a nice head of Zare. No, exactly. You go with your Zagnut. Um. Yeah, the hair threw me, too, because at first I was trying to decide whether he had... Uh, it looked like somebody had taken the hair off of a uh, the bad guy in an 80s ski lodge movie. <laughs> <laughs> and just yeah. put it down on John Lithgow's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. And that's just... I was like, this is bothering me. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of the 80s ski lodge films. Right. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. <laughs> You can just kind of flip in the front. I've always wanted to, you know, I've always wanted to go on vacation at a ski lodge when I was younger because, you know, the buxom babes are always at the ski lodges in the films I'm used to, you know, so. Wearing wearing a furry jacket. (laughs) Yeah, with their bikini. That's the thing. I always hope when I bring my white turtleneck and my neon sun ice jacket that I'm going to be in the right place at the right time, but it never quite works out. Yeah, yeah. So I got a hot dog by myself. Now, let let Uh, me say, let me add to this. I really like John Lithgow a lot. As uh, do I. Yeah. I think he's one of the few actors who can do, and he does all. He does all of these well. He does. He can do comedy. He can do heavy drama. He can play the heavy. He can write good kids books. Yeah, he writes good kids books. I mean, I think he's a kind of a bit of a renaissance man in a way. Now he's he's an odd looking actor, mm-hmm. um, but I've always kind of thought that you know, I always thought he's more talented than. Uh, and he was always let to be, but I don't know how I don't know how I'm trying to say that or what I'm trying to say. But his his career didn't um, bear out how like it didn't allow. Now I'm saying the same thing you are. I I, I think I know what you're saying that he, he's not a leading like, man by leading man standards, right? But he should have been by his talent alone. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he's a hell of an actor, and uh, you know he gets to play characters in this film, which I'm sure for him is a lot of fun because you know he does. I guess. Three or four. No, actually, I think he does four five. characters. Five. Oh, yeah, five. five. Yeah, five. Yeah, you're right. I, I just remembered the other one, <laughs> which is a De Palma vice, to say the least. Which is an, oh, is it ever? <laughs> and we get to see another man who got to become a leading man do the same thing. Actually, I'm spoiling things for another film. I won't say anything more. <laughs> um, but uh, I wonder if that is actually, speaking of obsessions of De Palma, if that's something he has a thing for. 
Now that I think about it, yeah, I think uh, his uh, I think his obsessions film was are completely in front of your face in this film. Yeah, no, they are even down to the thing of like um, of um, medical studies. You know, we see it in Sisters and stuff like that. Looking at sort of the the um, critical analysis or the 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 study of of, of family and and humanity through the sciences or through medicine. You, you've seen that. It's a bit of a recurring theme at times in his films, too. Um, uh, My big old uh, old Labrador just walked in here, so you guys might hear some heavy panting. <laughs> nice. And that's not me. That's my lab. Very nice. Uh, what an awful smoker Lithgow is, though. Yeah, he's not a good. Sm- yeah, he's not a good smoker. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> terrible. Really, really sucking on that thing. Yeah, it's, uh, we've talked about that before, and I know Zach, who I don't know if he. You, do you still smoke, Zach? I'm smoking right now. There you go. There you go. But as as all either past or present smokers, we can you know Lithgow being a good actor could not act smoke his way out of a paper bag. Yeah, don't think so. he's a great drinker either. Uh, but no, no, maybe, maybe they're just not vices he uh, got into off the. Yeah. He was super over dramatic, almost like he learned stage smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and a good, then uh, just could never like rein it in. But then again, no. that character he's playing that does the smoking and the drinking, that character is probably the most over the top thing he does in the film, right? Yeah. Um. Until. Well, may, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. until that. Okay. Until but <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that you know he's really you know because he play well. I don't think it's a. It's not a spoiler to give away. Because well, you know, in the uh, opening of the film, pretty much, and especially even on the cover, you see the duality of yeah. of um. This is Palma. Yeah. This is Paul De Palma dealing with multiple personality disorder, which is always a tricky thing to do in in cinema. But he's done it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, when we talked about uh, you know another the other film well, he did, well, even Sisters, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. He he's kind of fascinated with this multiple yeah. personality disorder thing. Yeah, no, he definitely is. Um, this film, oddly, as much as it's De Palma. It, Outside of some of the themes that he revisits, for, if I'm going to look past that stuff and just look at the style of this film, from a style perspective, this does not feel like a De Palma film for me. Like the color palette's very muted and a lot of browns and creams and tans and whites. Like it feels very early 90s kind of. Um, yeah, it definitely does. Wall Street. I don't know, suspenders and cup of coffee in hand. Like it doesn't feel as stylish as when I think of De Palma, I think of style. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the cameras there. Also, should yeah. be said, uh, Steadicam operator is one J. Michael Muro, the one there who directed go. Street Trash, by the way, yeah, which he did last go. week. An odd bit of uh, <laughs> an odd bit of strangeness that that kind of happens on the show sometimes. But yeah, they, I mean the the style as far as the shots is there, but yeah, you, it, it it does feel what it feels like is uh, De Palma uh, grown up or yuppie De yes. Palma. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably a good way to put it. I got to read this tagline because I just saw it for the film. Demented, deranged, deceptive, De Palma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, it's funny. This film was a hit for him, and uh, a lot of people forget that. It's only $12 million budget, and it made $21 million, so it was a hit. and uh, Low-budget hit, so, you know, strange when I think about it in retrospect because a lot of people don't talk about it. No, I'll oh, buzz off. Yeah. Brian De Palma calling you right now. He is, man. Saying desist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talking about my style, bro. 
Well, speaking of desist, Lithgow should have desisted on trying to do a Swedish accent. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, well. Awful, man. Again, it's all probably on par with the smoking. Yeah. But, but again, I think you could probably um, chalk that up to the thing of um, the character trying to affect that versus it being authentic. I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. It's like the, the picture of the guy holding a mirror inside the picture of a guy holding him. You know what I mean? That thing where yeah. it's yeah. falling down that rabbit hole. Um, this also, you know what this also feels a little bit like is the brood. With sort yeah. of family psychology and the ramifications of things. Um, well, what this film does, I think that's interesting is it, it, it leads you down a bit of a rabbit hole because you kind of don't know what's real and what's not. No. And it, it really throws around even the chronology of the film. To, yeah. So you don't quite know where, this is happening in real time. If this is a flashback, which I guess obviously was intentional, because De Palma's that kind of guy. He wants to keep us on unsure footing, um, much like um, the five people that Lithgow plays are kind of on unsure footing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, he kind of plays games with you. And I remember re- uh, watching it the first time. I remember thinking, "Is the you know the, the Swedish character is 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 that?" A personality? What is that? And then watching it again, I had that same thought. And of course, you know, well, I can't really get into the, uh, you know, the back end of the film. I'll just say that the the climax of this movie is total Brian De Palma. Oh, that's when. The, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That's there's other moments too. There's that long tracking shot in the police station too, where, where I love how I tilt angles down the stairway. Yes. It's like Brian De Palma saying, "Watch me do Brian De Palma." <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Um, Apropos of nothing other than being a parent, but uh, Sammy, I know you're with me on this. When he buckles that kid into that child seat, man, that restraint looks so unsafe. It's like, yeah, yeah. man, I would, I would never buckle my child into that seat. Yeah, yeah. So it's just odd the things you you notice. Like that's such a such a throwaway, just nothing moment. But as a parent, you can you see that and think, oh well. Um, a couple of gripes. I think some of the the performances are uneven, like or even just the way they're written, like the. Um, the police in the film feel far too smug and kind of nonchalant about Nix's connection to things. Yeah, like, there's the, just too it, much kind odd. of ball busting, kind of hard boiled cops. It just it doesn't really work for me. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it yeah. I, it, it is a, the cops seem well. Obviously, they just seem like uh, parts of the story. They don't seem yeah. like uh, like they should be. They feel like cogs moving things yeah. along, not anything really. Yeah, they feel like B-movie cops and, and, yeah. and De Palma's reality. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of always done that with cops. He's his, his cops are never... I don't think he's very interested in police. So. No, well, yeah, because even in, like, Blowout... Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good example. It's, it's really more about um, Travolta's investigation mm-hmm. than the police, right? Yeah, yeah. Despite yeah. him visiting the police station. Or even so. uh, Dressed to Kill. I mean, it, the cops yeah. just... Uh, you know, the cops always yeah, seem... Keith Gordon is the one that has to kind of take yeah. up the mantle of uh, Hardy yeah. Boy. It's almost like his comment is that you know the common man is is more useful than the cops. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, this film film feels like it has just too much exposition, too much. It, it, it's that thing, which again we won't talk about here, but um, something like Only God Forgives, where uh, don't tell me, show me. And and De Palma was always a strong visual director, so for him to have to tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me what people feel and how they feel about the relationships with people and. Just too much exposition. So well, that's, that's why I felt like he did that long tracking shot. Because he was like, I'm going to do this long tracking shot and make it interesting because I'm going to tell these people a lot of crap right here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the yeah. Uh, unfortunate thing of the '90s being the kind of the era I always think of that over-explains things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and gives us the backstory. And you know, you got the Francis Sternhagen character walking, oh. you know, telling the story and all that good stuff. Yeah, which you know, I it goes on for a while and it's a great shot, but I don't know if they needed that much backstory because I think you could kind of put it together. Oh, for sure you can. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the devil's advocate to it, uh, you know, since De Palma just wanted to be Hitchcock so bad, uh, often in Hitchcock's movies, he would have a character show up and explain everything. Yeah. Even yeah. even though we would have already figured it out, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. I mean, so that that struck me that that might be a moment like that where he was yeah, like, good. oh, I'm just going to have that character in here. Yeah. Good call. Good call. No, you're right. And I, you know, having seen maybe, I don't know, 10 to a dozen Hitchcock's, I know you're very familiar with this filmography, Zach, so you would kind of key in on that more than I would. But, yeah, it just feels like a needless thing to do. I mean, that's when your insistence on homaging something can kind of get in the way of how organic a film feels or to the detriment of the film. Yeah, it was kind of like an old thing put in here for no reason. Right, exactly. Um, it's, it feels like some of the stuff that's explained at the back end by the um, – uh, what is it? I keep wanting to say Steenbergen, like Mary Steenbergen. Yes. The Sternhagen character feels a little bit like some of the stuff she explains. Feels like, which ironic, because uh, it's not Hitchcock, but it's Hitchcocky in a way. Is um, it feels like some of the stuff that's explained is is a nod to Peeping Tom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, just to get back to the juggling timelines for a minute, because I'm almost on my notes here, uh, the the problem with that stuff too is it kills the tempo of the film. Like instead of the film kind of starting to to boil over it it and ratcheting the tension up it just feels like every time you kind of start to dig into what's about to happen it kind of jumps either backwards or forwards or sideways in time to different characters so it it doesn't sort of progressively get more tense when to the point where we get this great finale like it at this point you're kind of up and down it's like you're having sex with a girl who can't this is going to sound crass but a woman who doesn't really know how to ride you Mm. you know she's got a few moments but otherwise you know, she doesn't get into a rhythm, and and then you know it kind of that's the way it goes. But but the back end of the film, the, the finale is pretty good, and we get, of course, you couldn't resist the stroller from the Untouchables. <laughs> yeah, so, and I and I love the final shot. I think the final shot is appropriately De Palma. Yeah, sort of insane. I think that was one of the biggest complaints about this film when it came out was that it's De Palma up to old De Palma tricks, mm-hmm. and that some people were starting to turn on him a little bit. You could, I can see that, and I think that's that, that's an interesting thing. Is that sometimes we turn on filmmakers, um, or just like in in sports, um, a coach can be a great effective coach, but if he's coached the team for ten or fifteen years, yeah. people start to tune it out, and and the tricks don't yeah. really. Well, we got to remember he came off of the debacle that was the bonfire of the vanity, so a film that totally tanked. Oh yeah, they, they, they had a ton of trouble with uh, production wise. Was a total mess. Uh, and a really, really, really bad experience for De Palma, from what I understand. So maybe he just wanted to get to the comforts of what he was familiar with. Yeah, um, I think he wanted just to get back, get into making movies, get back. Because I mean, we're talking about a filmmaker now, De Palma, and you, 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 uh, then you've put uh, De Palma or freaking right as the uh, thing on the Facebook group. And we're, yeah, was, we're talking about guys now that are getting closer to eighty than they are seventy anymore. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about older gentlemen at this point and uh these guys you know so they i think like de palma's case he hadn't made a movie in five years after redacted and he made this new movie passion and it feels like de palma from what i haven't read it i mean i haven't read it i haven't watched it but uh from what i understand it's de palma doing de palma again so it seems like he kind of goes back to this after he has a bad experience uh 
uh, it seems like he always goes back to De Palma. Well, he was 52 when he made this. Yeah. So that that's someone who definitely at that point you're, you, there's probably going to be a little more of a reliance on on uh, old tricks and, and familiar um, territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've got a few more things to add to it. Uh, this is definitely, you know, again, his exercise in style and his voyeurism is there. His, he's got a little bit of that. Again, he's, in, he's completely fascinated with you know, sexual betrayal and things like that. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, you know, of course, that that plot device, you know, is it immediately speaks to people's primal nature, right? Because yeah. because that's the way you think. I just, I'm looking at a poster of Jeff Bridges and Seventh Son. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> him, him with a flaming stick of some sort. I don't know what's up with Jeff Bridges. I guess you know. I guess he's getting some checks cashed real quick before he, he gets is. in. There. Oh yeah, master check casher. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really cashing them with these CGI films lately. I don't know what's up with that. Anyway. That one looks well. No, I, I would say it looks worse than R.I.P.D., but I don't think it does. Um, uh, but you know me; I don't know how to have fun. So, yeah. <laughs> but but you know those type of sexual the infidelity is a great plot device because it really it really drives home an emotional attachment. I got to say the kid stuff kind of got to me this time around. Obviously, I have a child now, so it it, it does kind of change the perspective a little bit. There's not a lot of it in here, but I really felt. The, the screaming boy in the garage that really got to me. Yeah, I would agree with, mm-hmm. with it. Uh, it was very simple and stuff, but I like that little play because you know I liked how De Palma played with it with the uh, the video nanny and mm-hmm. how he played with the thing. And of course, you know what you find out. You know, is a character playing a character. You know, the George or Oscar Bluth, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for the Arrested Development fans, um, Lolita, Lolita Davidovich. Is that her, is that her name? Yeah, yeah. Davidovich. Mm-hmm. I've always had a thing for her. I don't know what it is. I kind of like her. I don't really, I don't really like her performance in this film that much. I think she's okay, but I, I, I do like her quite a bit. I think it goes back to that Paul Newman film, Blaze. I like her. I think she's fine in the film. I think she's, she's got a bit of a thankless turn because of some of her actions, but mm. I think she's fine. Yeah. One of the great De Palma moments. This is the thing about De Palma. Even in his average to bad films, De Palma still has moments, and I gotta say, the Stephen Bauer Davidovich wife on the bed scene, I fucking love. Yeah, I love that scene. I love the reflection in the TV. Mm-hmm. That is so De Palma, you know. And of course, the 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 uh, cut zoom to the eyeballs, which <laughs> always bothers me, man. <laughs> but there's a lot of great moments of you know realization here i also like the tension of the uh the sun rising scene it is a little ham-handed but i like that scene a little bit too that's very of course psycho and some other things i mean his hitchcock influence is all over this thing right i mean de palma has made no secret of the fact that he you know alfred hitchcock was his main influence uh i don't think he's always liked being called a hack by by that but you know he is essentially riffing on hitchcock his whole career and uh, that's fun uh, i think it's fun anyway um mm-hmm. There's a very strange moment with uh, a kid out of a bathroom <laughs> scene. I know what you're oh, doing. Yeah. yeah. That's a weird one. Yeah, it is, it is bizarre. It's kind of just like, what the hell is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I think I like this more this time watching it than I did the first time. I know the first time I watched it, I was really disappointed. And it was, you know, the early 90s and stuff. And I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was probably expecting, you know, Blowout or Dress to Kill or even Body Double for that matter. But he had come off of, uh, I didn't see the Bonfire of the Vanities till much later, but I'd seen Casualties of War, which I liked. 
And, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know what I was expecting, but I think the critics were saying, you know, it's De Palma being De Palma. I mean, even the tagline is telling you it's De Palma, right? Because you just read the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I was expecting, you know, Dress to Kill. I was expecting Blowout. I was expecting these films. Uh, what I kind of got was a lesser version of those films, obviously, uh, with little moments of brilliance. Um, I think some of the stuff in this film is, is as awesome Fabian would say, is rock solid. Uh, the climax I like a lot. Uh, yeah. I like the way that pays off. I like the tension he builds. I like the language of film he uses in those scenes. But at the same time, I do feel like the story is a little overtold. Uh, I do appreciate, though, that it's, you know, our films this week were 90-minute films and, and that it is only a 90-minute film. I think if this film was made today, it'd probably be 120 minutes of... Oh, for sure it would. Psycho, yeah. psycho babble, right? Um, yeah. But... I, yeah, I think I liked it more this time. I, I, you know, my score is not going to reflect kind of what I'm saying uh, so much, I don't think. But uh, I do think it's interesting. But it is, I have to agree, it is lesser De Palma. But definitely those little things I like about Brian De Palma are there. And I kind of like, it's kind of like Snake Eyes. I, I like Snake Eyes. Um, I, I, you know, the tracking shot's amazing. But I like Snake Eyes because of the De Palma moments. But I don't like Snake Eyes because of the blandness of the rest of the story. Uh, some of the rest of the story is not that good, but the De Palma moments—it's it's one of those things where you like a director and you like what he does, and maybe he's a one-trick pony like uh, Guy Ritchie. But when he does the one trick, you like the one trick. Yeah, exactly, man. But when he gets away from the one trick, sometimes the weaknesses kind of shine through a little bit. So, yeah, Zach, what'd you think about on your revisit? Um, well, I only have a couple more things that haven't been mentioned. Um, the uh, the hotel room towards the beginning. Uh, where he he meets the uh, his father in for the first time, I really was struck with how that looked. But what I wrote down was uh, this is uh, this looks like the Motel Six version of David Lynch's Black Lodge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I really enjoy how that visually looked, and was the first moment in the film where I went, Ah, De Palma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, we get some Dutch angle stuff in here, so it's always interesting. <laughs> uh, I really like that. And and speaking of the Hitchcock angle, there's, I mean, there's one direct lift in here. Um, when he, uh, a car goes into a lake and, uh, it's definitely a direct lift just out of psycho. Even yeah. Lithgow even tries to look a bit like, uh, uh Tony Perkins in that moment. Yeah, he does. Yeah. It's a direct lift. It, nobody can tell me otherwise. I mean, it's a direct, you know, lift. It's, it's, you know, it's a Tarantino homage, so to speak. Yeah, I mean it's it's nearly shot by shot. I didn't have time to go back and look, but it's yeah. it's pretty close. Um, and uh, I think that's about all I've got that nobody else has said. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everybody said everything else. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to go back and and revisit these films from the '90s. The '90s is a decade where I kind of don't like to go back and revisit films from the '90s much, and I don't know if it's because. It's not the style, which is the always easy to make fun of the clothing and stuff. Although there's there's some shoulder pads going on in here, hardcore <laughs> uh, and things like that. But I don't know. The '90s is a is a rough decade cinematically in a bit of, a bit of ways and, and stuff and sartorially. Yeah, yeah. It 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 just. But it is interesting to go back and look at De Palma in this era. So, all right. I think in the '90s there was a lot of movies that kind of like 
seemed more like 40s or 50s movies that they tried to make in the 90s. Good, 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 good. I forget you know, great point. And, and like some movies like, say, like the one that comes off the top of my head is The Hot Spot. Mm-hmm. That one really works as like an updated film noir, and this has problems. Yeah. You know, so it, it just didn't quite work in the transition. But there was a lot of movies that seemed to try to make that jump in, in that time period. Yeah. Yep. Even down to the fashion, it's like 90s version of 40s fashion with like the hound's tooth and, and just kind of the hard-boiled influences yeah. and stuff, yeah. The only thing missing, yeah, the only thing missing in this film is he shot it in California, so the only thing really missing in this film is, uh, you know, heavy rain, right? So right. you yeah. get the heavy rain, you get Dinaggio's score, and you get the Palmas, you know, it's basically noir in a way. And it, that would really, I'm actually kind of surprised it would, he didn't put rain in it. Some stuff. I do like the playground set. I like the playground set. I like that little walk-off area. Mm-hmm. I like those scenes, but you know that's you know the very total De Palma stuff, right? So, and that has a great payoff at the end, which, uh, like Will said, pretty great. <laughs> I really like the payoff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, so make or breaks MVTs, largely. Uh, what made it was the last fifteen minutes of this film. I was very lukewarm on a lot of the other stuff. Too much exposition, not enough style or zest. Uh, otherwise, it, it kind of moves all over the place back and forth and sideways. But the, the last 15 minutes made me smile and was really bonkers and was De Palma. So at least he had the, <laughs> yeah. the good sense to, to, to finish it on a very De Palma note. Um, it, it almost feels like he came up with the ending before he came up with the rest of the film, right? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the MVT has to be Lithgow. I mean, he fully commits to the roles. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, it's not De Palma because De Palma's had a lot finer hours than this. Mm-hmm. But Lithgow really keeps us keeps us moving and keeps himself moving. And my score is a a six point five. I, I oh, kind of nice, waffled yeah. to be honest between a six and a six point five um, because I didn't their flaws. But it's still you know, worth a watch, especially like I said, the last fifteen minutes really kills it. So. Yeah, yeah, in in a good way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're we're pretty much on the same page on this one. My make or break is, I, like I said, I really like that New Year's Eve scene with Stephen Bauer, Davidovich, and uh, the lady oh, in the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love that. Yeah, that that's yeah, yeah. It is a creepy kind of reveal with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. He does his slow motion stuff, and we should mention there's a lot of slow motion in this film. Yeah, a lot of slow motion. Mm-hmm. Some of it's subtle, some of it not so much. <laughs> so yeah. So, but it's there. There's a lot of slow motion. Uh, I guess he fell in love with it after the Untouchables. Um, so I like that scene a lot, but I, I agree with you. The last 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes or so are, are a lot of fun. Um, a lot of fun in that, uh, De Palma jerking off way. Um, MVT also go with Lithgow. Uh, it's a, it's a good, it's a good moment for him. It's really nice for a director who, you know, he's a, I know De Palma's a big fan of his, so it's nice for him to kind of turn around and give Lithgow like this, you know, lead role in this low-budget film. And Lithgow would go on to play heavies for most of the 90s, I believe, uh, except for when he got on uh, Third Rock from the Sun or whatever the TV show, but uh, where he played, you know, uh, you know, where he was completely over-the-top buffoon. But uh, he, uh, I think he played the heavy in Ricochet. Was it that, the Denzel Washington film? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, he, and, of course, he was the heavy in Cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he went through a whole career of heavies. I remember in, I remember in Ricochet he was an Aryan uh, prisoner, and he... Had a sword fight, I believe, or some kind of stick fight where he was wearing uh, yellow pages for armor, uh, yellow pages oh phone God. books. Yeah, it was insane. I think I think the movie's directed by Ernest Dickerson. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. I haven't seen that in a long time. 
Ernest Dickerson? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm going off memory here, and it's early, so I'll have to look that, that seems right. I can't say I'm familiar with I, I The only Dickerson I know is Eric, the a great running back. Uh, Ernest Dickerson is the, uh, well, he's sometimes a photographer for Spike Lee. Oh, Actually, right, okay. we are wrong, uh, Zach. It is Russell McKay who directed Ricochet. Oh, oh nice. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's the name. Yeah, there's a name you do know. Yeah, The, the Highlander himself. Name. Yeah. All right. So, but yeah, I mean, I like Lithgow a lot in this film. My score is just a tad bit higher than yours. I enjoyed it a little bit more this time, but it is a 6.75. It's, it is lesser De Palma, but if you like De Palma, you, I think you'll like the bits and pieces and the good news is that it's not a really long film anyway so there you go I'm probably just going to echo what everybody else has kind of already said uh, my make or break um, is kind of Lithgow's performance kind of the whole movie hinged on whether he could pull off uh, everything he needed to pull off and he definitely did uh, so MVT uh, also John Lithgow and my score would be about a 6.5 as well nice yeah so nice. we're all on the same page with this one Excellent. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, seventy three years old, I believe, uh, is uh, how old De Palma is now, and Freakin's even older, man. Yeah, Billy Freakin. Yeah, those guys still rocking those nice sweaters, though. Yeah, and the same style glasses. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of that, De Palma's still rocking that damn uh, brown director's vest he wears on sunset. And he still rocks oh, that And the newsboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the newsboy hat. Some of these guys, like uh, him, uh, Kubrick would always rock the big furry jacket. <laughs> I know, uh, uh, what's his name? George Romero rocks that director's uh, with about nine billion pockets. He oh, he, yeah, yeah, he totally does that <laughs> olive green one. Yeah, and he rocks those gigantic glasses, too. Yeah. It's very interesting how these guys become so comfortable in their skin, you know, that they... And if you think about it, most directors are like that because I was thinking the other day about some of them, like Sam Raimi, for instance, always wears a suit. And these guys, I guess they just get so comfortable. Uh, it's very strange to me. Anyway, one less thing to worry about when you're making a film. I guess so. Yeah, you got a costume, right? You got a you got a mm-hmm. uniform. A uniform, yeah. Yep. All right, so we're going to take a short break. Come back and talk about a film that's completely the same as uh, <laughs> oh, Raising yeah. Kane, <laughs> and that film is uh, Sons of Steel. We'll be back right after this. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick, the minute shit, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I can handle anything. Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures of VHS or visit adventuresofvhs.com. Ah. 
turn around, stick it out, show the world you got All right, everybody, welcome back. Another song that's just like the film. And uh, I thought it was done twerking on my desk. Yeah, exactly. A little song, uh, hip hop. You're dedic- not done yet, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a nice uh, hip hop dedication to Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> or, or to Rob Hartley as Black Alice and his, yeah. his uh, high heeled cowboy boots. Yeah, he does have, a, right. does have a bit of a bubble butt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so sorry. I had to choke on something there. Ooh. A rager. Might have been a rager. All right, so our uh, film, uh, this is Zach's pick, and uh, Will Will and I are going to be honest. We had had never heard of this. Uh, This is one of those ones that I would say we're going to turn some people on to here today because, um, yeah, this this is an oddity. Uh, let me give a brief plot synopsis. Sons of Steel, 1988, directed by one Gary L. Keaty. Only thing he ever did. He did do a director's cut of this film, which I have to see at this point. Yes. Uh, uh, the plot synopsis is simple. In a futuristic Australia, a scheme to blow up the Sydney Opera House is discovered. The only way to stop it is to send in an agent back in time to prevent the plotters from hatching it. Yeah. <laughs> give me a rage, mate. All right. So... Uh, that's my awful Australian accent. Zach, you picked this film. Tell us why. Give us some uh, notes, and let's talk about it. Sure. Why? Lord. Because when I watched it the first time originally and, and sat here, as soon as it finished, I went, now that's a movie for the GGTMC. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it's just got everything. It's got Australians. It's got crazy outfits. It's got music. It's got people riding on giant penises. Tough tits. It's got tough tits. It's it's got it all. So I, I just I knew I had to talk to y'all about this. Um, I mean, plus you know any movie's quality when it opens up with a disembodied face. Yes. Warning right. you, stuff is about to get real. Some of the most terrible CGI I think I've ever seen. It, yeah. it is. It was a step below the Hitchhiker's Guide series from the eighties. <laughs> Yeah, it's really it's really rough. Uh, it's pretty great though, because uh, it really captures the time, you know. It, it does. Really does. But uh, we're introduced to Black Alice, who is the lead singer of the band Black Alice, <laughs> uh, and they're uh, they're singing a, a a kind of hair metal anthemic version of uh, One Hit Wonder, Thunderclap, Newton, something in the air. Yeah. And uh, I just I love like everything that's going on on this the because you have military regalia you have uh, a guitarist in half a monkey suit, <laughs> um, you know he 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 rides a giant uh, penis missile, yes, uh, in the middle of the song for no apparent reason. We have also we have a, a choreographed. Um, uh, backup dancers and singers in in airline stewardess garb. Yes, yes, yes. So it's it's a mixed message of what this band is trying to talk about. But we know we're they are about peace. We are, they are about peace, and they are about hot licking. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of hot licks in the first half of this film. It's a, it's yeah. a it's an opening like no other. I mean, it's it's one of those <laughs> unique moments in cinema. I think that could have only happened once. And and, and from Australia. 
Yes. Yeah. We were saying off the Ozark that this film just feels so Australian, just like you watch certain films from Japan or other countries, and they just feel so of their country's origin, a country of origin, and this does feel so Australian, right down to the bullet belt that Black Alice wears. Oh, I agree. And I, I still, on the second time watching it, feel like there's some cultural things in here I'm just not getting because I'm not Australian. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure maybe one of the Aussie listeners, if they watch it, might have another kind of whole layer of understanding on it. That James would like this one. Uh, so then we get to see what a tender guy uh, Black Alice <laughs> is as, as he uh, he lays in bed with with his filthy little creature. <laughs> uh, he's got some interesting lines, um, and 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 then we get a spit take. Yeah. Oh man, green milk. Yeah, oh. yeah. She's like, "Don't drink that milk, Alice. It's been there for weeks." And I'm like, "Oh, I thought of Sammy and his thermos story from last week." Yeah, I thought yeah. of you and your cream from a couple weeks back. Oh man, what's gross is that Alice, after he drinks sour milk, he smokes again. Oh yes. yeah. Ugh. Oh, I, I got news for you. You know, I, I've been a pig in my lifetime. Uh, not Sam anymore, but I've left milk set on a nightstand before. After two weeks or after weeks, it turns into a gel. It doesn't even move anymore. So it, it does sort of gelatin doesn't it yes it does it, it, it's really disgusting it's better off at that point just to throw away the cup <laughs> it is because you know to get that that gelatin out of there to get that pudding that you've created out of there is Ooh. disgusting yeah. uh, and i wrote down a line here that i had to repeat because it's it's indicative of how rob hartley like delivers every line in the movie <laughs> yes because he says What's happening, my treasure, which my little world rotates? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's an interesting performance. I tried to look up stuff um, about Rob Hartley. Oh, he, so did I, and I couldn't find nothing. Yeah, this is the only film he did. I, I mean, this band was a real band. Yeah, I mean, they they had hits, and and I believe he was around with that band for quite some time. Yeah, at Black Alice. So. What's What's amazing is this film. Before it was actually nominated for a few Australian Academy Awards, like Best Costumes. It was a bit of a oddly, it was a bit of a box office hit the year it came out in Australia, which I just. I find it so hard to believe that a film this niche and cult um, would be a commercial success, but it was. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a, a little bit of story behind it too. I mean, uh, I know Gary Keedy uh, was kind of the guy who I know that the short this is based on. He co-directed it with Yahoo Serious mm -hmm. from Amazing. Australia. So, and you know, Yahoo Serious would go on to become a little bit of a thing. So it's it's weird. It's weird this. The, this is one of those films that I just find amazing it exists. Mm -hmm. I just don't it, it it's it's it almost leaves you speechless. It really does. I mean, it, I know we we joke around about it being very GGTMC and it is because of the the bullet belts and the leather and the hot licks and the insane haircuts and sour milk <laughs> and all this the craziness of the film. But it's also one of those films that I just don't know and and I didn't know it was nominated for any Australian Oscars or anything like that. That that just blew my mind when you said that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, but I just don't know how, you know, after being such a film buff all my life, that a film like this kind of sneaks under my radar my whole life. Yeah, it's true. 
it's so true. Like me and like me and Rick were talking off the air like beforehand, and we're like, man, I don't know what we're in for. We've never even heard of this thing. We have no idea about anyone involved in this thing, and mm-hmm. and then to drop something like this on us, it's like, how did we not know about this thing? Well, honestly, I was doing a a series for a videotape swap shop about a year ago where they were doing Australian films, and and I went to a certain place, and I just typed in Australian. And just look through what came up, and this one came up, and I was like, "That sounds amazing. I'm gonna, I'll see what that's about." Yeah. And then I yeah. was just like, "Oh wow, that was amazing." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's definitely amazing. It, it says on the trivia in the IMDb that it was referenced in uh, uh, not quite Hollywood, but I don't recall it being. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that again. I haven't seen it since I saw it the first time. I don't remember it being referenced in there because it seems like I would have pursued it. I wondered if, well, now that's funny you say that because I wondered seeing the name of Black Alice, Rob Hartley, if he was like the father of Mark Hartley or something. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. It's uh, One of the user reviews is uh, done by the actual director himself on IMDb. It says, I'm probably biased as I wrote and directed the film. It had its moments. That's what it says. <laughs> I remember that, reading that one when I was doing my review. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll try to go quickly here because I know we need to get through this and get to you guys. Uh, doc, one of the uh, government officials, Dr. Hope, uh, I assume that if they ever remade it, that Lady Gaga could just take on that part. Oh, this this is probably where she got a lot of influence for her wardrobe. There's some, or this had like a little bit like sort of um, like Wendy Williams meets Susie Sue. Like it just, it feels very kind of, I don't know, a very specific kind of extreme melding of certain um people styles. and fashions and styles styles yeah. yeah um i thought the gay club was very interesting but uh, well of course i was really attracted to was the zebra painted chick yeah man but they cheated uh, they had her in uh, bottoms she did she didn't go method she didn't she didn't go method <laughs> but somehow that i remember originally that led me and my friend amy to debate about whether you, I would sleep with a zebra chick, not like a half zebra, half chick. And we're trying to decide which half was zebra, and it was it got way out of hand. Hmm. Interesting. Um, uh, I like the the kind of violent corporate massacre fantasy he has waiting on the elevator uh, while he sings a song because you got to sing a song to do everything. Um, the two bad scientists. Uh, uh, like are they are they the 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 bad guys from Pokemon growing up? <laughs> Possibly, because yeah. they, they really like. That's all I could think about. Look at those two. Is I was like the two bad guys from Pokemon. Yeah, the one guy <laughs> gave me a strong like uh, John Lydon, you know, uh, Johnny Rotten vibe. Yeah, oh sure. <laughs> well, the other. You mean the fellow who pick out his underpants out of his bum while he's talking to you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't he have a monocle too? Yes. <laughs> and we get his partner in crime is the most sort of extreme mulleted midget or, or little person I've ever seen. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty extreme. in the history of cinema. What an extreme mullet that is. Well, the Black Alice mullet's pretty extreme as well. Oh well, yeah, that that's 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 a no, that's not a mullet. That's a that's a braided skullet. <laughs> yeah. That's yes. Funny. So it's is it too late to make I'm much more as opposed to a zebra woman I'm much more of a Prozalski's horse kind of guy? But <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, whatever a finer coat on the yeah. Prozalski's horse. But yeah. anyway, uh, I'm a Clydesdale yeah. myself. Yeah, oh, big. You like him big? <laughs> oh yeah, baby. <laughs> Another one of my favorite lines was uh, "I'm not a urine sample, dude." Yeah. yeah, I like anything that he said that ended with 
dude. Yeah. Which was a lot of sentences. <laughs> uh, my, my note, just to sort of get out of the way here, is that um, Black Alice, because his name is actually not just the man, his name actually, does he go by just Alice or does he go by Black Alice? I think they call him, I think they just, I think they call him Black Alice. Do they? Well, Black Alice says dude more than Hulk Hogan and Michelle Tanner combined. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, of course, the, the, we get this some kind of time travel element, and I know the synopsis said the past, but I thought he went to the future. And so I found that very unclear. I, I was unclear on a lot of the plot for this film. Like, I thought he had bad credit at first, and that's why he was in trouble after the overdose. And there's a little bit of, like, full cheese conquest going on. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I, I just kind of went with it. I was like, I have no idea. I was, like, 50 minutes in. I was like, I have no idea what's happening. Um, but I'm I'm in, regardless. Somehow we either get to the past or the future fighting <laughs> with, with barbarians to get to motorcycles because... Of some reason that was unclear. Yeah, and um, what's, what's great is that that barbarian caveman totally like eats a large spider web. Like he just walks into it, and just keeps on going. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and I really like throughout the, those scenes are the worst parts of like there's so much overdubbing to put like grunts and groans and stuff. The, the barbarian chick sounds like she's just walking around coming all the time. Yes. Cause she's just like, ah, 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 ah. and I'm like, really? <laughs> oh man. Um, when he gets, uh, there, there's a scene where he foams at the mouth at one point. And <laughs> And then he has a vision about how he has to sing a song about tonight. There's love. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I didn't understand how those two correlated. It just seemed like, hey, we got another song that's got to go in here. Yeah. Um, it, you also, right after that, get the very obvious cutout door that he just walks right through that's yeah. cut out into his shape. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and and right in that area, he breaks the fourth wall and talks to the audience for a second. Yeah, which was which there's was, a couple of fourth wall. I, I really there's a fourth wall broken moment at the very end too, which I really like. Um, and then of course, if you've got to save the world, you've totally got time for one more song. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know it's true. I gotta say, I, man, Rob Hartley, Black Alice, quote unquote, he has got a great screen presence. It's a shame he didn't do anything else. Yeah, he's got this kind of rompy kind of glee. Um, not everything works, but he just kind of puts it. He's like a bit of a, a musically inclined braided bull in a china shop. Yeah, and he's a physical specimen. I mean, he's a odd looking dude, but I mean, he's in great shape. Yeah, he's super short, I think, outside yeah. of those tiny boots. Yeah. But, well, yeah, but that's the thing, right? He's got those high heeled cowboy boots, but he, uh, I mean, I would have loved, you know what I'd love to see is a buddy cop film with him and Prince. Oh yeah. yeah, amazing! Shot in Australia with Aboriginal actors, so that'd be awesome. It would amazing, <laughs> but it hardly. Uh, it's weird. I don't like musicals, but this really worked for me, and I don't know why. I know why because it's so insane. But <laughs> yeah, I normally say. don't like musicals. I fucking hate musicals, but this just works. Yeah, I don't think the music in this. I think the music in this is used as. Well, I think it's used as a what the fuck as, as the rest of the film is. Yeah, exactly. that's a good point. Because I don't think it really moves narrative. I just think no. occasionally the power of metal, you know, <laughs> yeah. stops people in their tracks, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I'd yeah. like for uh, Neck to see this or some of our other listeners oh, that you know, I know a that are into this stuff. Yeah. To see this. yeah, definitely need to check this out. <laughs> 
Because this will never, well, I, I should say never get released on DVD, but I think you can buy the DVD through Gary Keaty Direct. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. you can. Which I think I might have to support Gary Keaty and get this puppy I on DVD. Because this, yeah. this is an owner, man, because this is one of those films where, like, dude, you, you think you've seen it all? You've not seen anything like this before. It's true. Yeah. All right, well, Large William, what's uh, some of your notes? Zach, uh, you done? You done? Yeah. Zach, are you done with your notes? Yes, I'm okay, good. Okay, okay. This feels very much like early Peter Jackson or Sam Raimi. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That feels, kind of that kind of uh, fever directorial yes. debut, that fevered thing. Yeah, yeah. Or even the Forbidden Zone. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Good example, like Forbidden Zone to me. But um, not, yeah, qu- not quite as wacky, obviously, as Forbidden no. Zone, which is way out there. But. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. But uh, yeah, Alice uh, knows how to accessorize his zebra sheets with his. There is a zebra thing running through this room: zebra sheets, zebra lampshade, and then a zebra woman, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> he he has great sunglasses with an antenna, um, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Uh, uh, also, a little bit Buckaroo Banzai. It feels like too. Like his character to me feels like um, Buckaroo Banzai meets Lobo, the DC character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. You go. Oh man, he so, would have been a great Lobo, Rob Hartley. Yeah, there you go, yeah, man. He yeah, he, oh, instead, instead of a flowing man, he would have had. He probably would have had the braids, though. Yeah, I could, I, I could totally weird. see him in the Lobo makeup, though. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. But he he also kind of looks like the love child of Jacko, the Duracell spokesman slash Ozzy Rules football player, and Bono of U two, <laughs> especially with that fucking hat in the first half of the film. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty great. He there's so much amazing GG. You're right, like it's like there's so much amazing GGTMC fashion in this, like. The dude that's got like the like this leather cod piece with the like the leather hands on his bare ass and there's red leathers and double denims and that fucking those spike earrings that Black Alice wears are pretty incredible. Like oh yeah. Every everyone just goes for it in this film. Like the whole film's really bristling with an with kind of a lot of ideas and energy and you can tell it's a film made by someone who made one film and wanted to just get everything. Well, I said, I in, unintentionally said that with an Australian accent. Mm-hmm. Um, it wants to get everything on the screen. Um, so it's, it, it really shows in the best possible way in this. And uh, um, there's a submarine. I don't even think we talked about the submarine or the nuclear disaster. I mean, the saving of the world. And um, oh, there's lots of laser in this film too. Even like this, he, it, it, speaking of Fulci's conquest, like they try to trump the Destro woman masturbating with a snake by having a a woman, a naked woman's corpse shoot yellow lasers out of her eyes. Mm-hmm. That's another. So, let me go back to that. That's another thing. Uh, is GI Joe ever going to uh, address the Destro character? Oh man, they, I think they did in the first one. They had they, that, that uh, uh, Christopher. Yeah, Christopher Elk- Eccleston is in the first mm-hmm. one as Destro, and Destro is seen like in a tank of water. Yeah, they show him in a tank of water, and they go like, "Oh, that's Destro over yeah. there." Like, sorry, they, Destro. Leave him out of this movie. <laughs> and then he's that's not a shame because I love Destro. Yeah, it's a great character, right? So I love Destro and the Baron. There needs to be like a there. There'd be a good uh, a good triple X parody, Destro and the Baroness, man. Yeah, there you go. Oh, speaking a little bit too much about my proclivities. And yeah, really. Now. Ooh, to see a yeah. Destro porno. You um, just you just put a roadblock on my heart, on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you really got protection when you got a, a silver mask on your your head. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's right, man. That's right. There's death by lamp in this film, mm-hmm. with, with that great sort of '80s like rotoscoped blue electricity effect. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew lamps in um, in Australia didn't have to follow? What is it? What's that safety code? The uh, the LC. What is it called? Uh, oh, it's on all the lamps and light bulbs oh, wow. and everything. 
UL. Uh, yeah, yeah, underwriters laboratory. Who knew that Australia didn't have to follow the underwriter laboratory codes? But uh, those are my notes. Okay, I don't have a whole lot more to add either. I can just say this film has some of the most bizarre performances I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I mean, from everybody, not just Rob Hartley. I mean, Rob Hartley takes it up to like 11, to so to speak, the Spinal Tap thing. I mean, he really takes it up, and there's some bizarre <laughs> some bizarre posturing between him and another lead singer of another band in a, in a scene that's very odd. Uh, <laughs> it has to be seen to be believed. I mean, I can't even do an impression of it. It's just, in, it's exactly it as best as you probably, probably could. I mean, it's just insane. There's some... Uh, some of those flesh masks in here that uh, that I can't stand. Some characters wearing oh, those masks. Oh, yeah, that's right. The translucent masks. That's yeah. a really great scene. Like, uh, sorry, they make great use of um, their locales. Like, they get a lot of kind of grand-looking, older um, locations in Australia, or they mix in stuff at night where there's not a lot of people. Like, they really stretch their dollar to make it look like a you know pretty good-looking yeah. film. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. They really do. I mean, it looks like a big film, but if you really study it and stuff, it's obvious it's a very small film. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they just make the most of their locations and stuff, and it's really a shame Gary Keaty never did anything else, uh, and Rob Hartley and all these guys. I would have liked a you know even just a sequel to this or something. It's it's weird how some filmmakers manage a career out of an insane beginning or something like that, and some just never go on to anything else. It's very weird to me how it's kind of you know it's unpredictable. You just really know, don't know. I'm- I'm going to shoot over. I just sent you guys via Skype the Japanese VHS cover for, cover for this. Talk about mismarketing the film. <laughs> yeah. I think I know which one you sent, yeah. I think I know the, uh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's an amazing cover, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think I'll use that maybe as the uh, as a, oh, nice. as yeah. a post, yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, wow, yeah, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, anyway. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of notes to add. I just, you know... I, Here's what I'll say. I mean, people should definitely get a hold of this thing because it's unlike anything you will ever see. I've seen so much stuff in my life, uh, so many films, but very rarely do you come across a film that <laughs> that has this type of character. Uh, and not just the Black Alice character itself, but I'm talking about yes. the film itself. Yeah, the, the whole film has character. It's un- unbelievable, and it's it's unbelievable that it eluded me for all these years. So it's it's awesome. That this is going to be one of those ones that, you know, when I have people over and they're like, hey, Rick's the guy, you know, that has got all the crazy movies. What do you got for me now? I'm like, oh, you guys, I got something for you this time. <laughs> you know, this one's pretty insane. Check this one out. I will say, though, to, that there's one weakness to the film for me. It's uh, some of the exposition with some of the, the doctors and some of the other scenes. It does go on a little bit much for me. Yes. It's like, okay, move along, move along, get back to the Alice character. <laughs> because he's so interesting, and the stuff he does is so interesting that I just wanted more and more of this kind of heroics and and insanity. Um, but yeah, no, everything else really worked for me. So I'll let Zach go with the MVTs and make or breaks. By the way, I don't have a make or break. I have a question mark because I don't have any idea what my make or break would be. I think I do now, but... I, oh, my MVT, I, I, I think, has to be Rob Hartley. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the film like just hangs on him, uh, and uh, he's he is just so great to watch. And his line delivery, I'll do one more. I'm not into violence, dude. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> um, 
But uh, I just I love his line delivery. I love his acting as unprofessional as it is. It like works so much because it's just like the absolute confidence of that character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he's great. Uh, my make or break, I th- I think would be their uh, the the visual look of the film because uh, it gave me like this futuristic dystopian look with by doing very little. And I think they they did it wisely without going well over and and out of their reach. And um, I think I would give this, golly, I really like it, um, a 7.75. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. yeah. All right. That's a good score. Large William. Make or break the, oh, fuck off. (laughs) I got too much to do in the morning. Fishing license, fucking pool pump, (laughs) everything. Uh, make a break. The opening. It's not the best scene. I don't know how to pick one scene out of this film. As you were kind of referencing, there's just so much going on in this film. Like, like I love the scene with the translucent masks. It almost looks like the lobby of like a great hotel or like an old bank or something with mm-hmm. this shootout or like the conquest um, barbarian couple where he eats the spider web inadvertently and doesn't care. Or um, the I'm just gonna go with the opening because it just right from the opening, the first five minutes, like man, what the fuck is this? Because <laughs> um, so, it really grabbed me, and then yeah, like uh, Zach said, man, MVT Black Alice Rob Hartley, man, he just brings it. I mean, yeah. everyone's bringing their A game, everyone's just bonkers, but he puts on those uh, high heeled cowboy boots and he just elevates himself above everyone else and just delivers. He's fantastic. He's you know just never stops. He puts his head down. He's got a a boundless kind of energy to what he's doing. So um, he's my MVT. My score is the exact same as Zach's. It's a seven point seven five. It's it's um, it's it's a fun fun film. It's uh, it's zany, which I don't usually like zany shit, but it just it it its energy w- works enough that it I can't help but but um, admire its enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that the the enthusiasm is real, right? So mm-hmm. you can feel it. My make or break is also the opening because you once you get into that, you're like, holy shit, I got to watch this whole thing now. Mm-hmm. It's one of those ones where if you come across it, you'd be like, okay, everything else has got to stop. I got to watch this movie real quick. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's a great opening, and there was definitely something in the air, no doubt about that. Uh, my MVT is also Rob Hartley, uh, the Black Alice character. You got a great look. Uh, it's an insane performance. I can't say it's a great performance because I don't know what kind of performance it is, but it's just it's one of a kind. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, it's nuts. Just nuts. The whole movie is nuts. <laughs> uh, my score is a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. I, I really enjoyed this, and it's uh, one of the most unique films I, I think I've ever seen. So that's saying a lot. I've seen a lot of movies. So, yeah, this one's... Uh, this would have been great at the uh, the uh, the retreat in Logan, Ohio. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it would have been I, awesome. If I if I could just interject for for one moment, I just want to say, uh, uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this on, I'm glad to be on the show this week to, you know, celebrate my five years and our our five years of friendship uh, between the Lightning Bugs Lair and the GGTMC. Uh, but one of one of the first films y'all ever did, uh, of course, and, and one that many people know because of y'all is Hands of Steel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of felt great coming on the show, and kind of felt like I was I was bringing a next legacy of that with Sons yeah. of Steel. That's right. Uh, nice, nice pull. Man. So you know, we we are the Sons of Steel, us uh, <laughs> uh, and all of us out there that love the GGMTMC. So I I think this is definitely just like Hands of Steel is a movie that y'all brought that every oh, so many listeners would enjoy. 
I think this is one we can bring to people that just a, a ton of the audience will enjoy. Indeed, indeed. Awesome. I agree with that. Thanks, man. Well, that was a very nice and thought out uh, sentiment. Can I just say, since we're talking about Hands of Steel, I have a poster that Loaf gave me a few years ago for Christmas for Kringle, and uh, a proud moment, my my um, son William looked at it, uh, or was it Braden? Um, I think it was William. He picked it up and said, Daddy, are you in this film? And I, I wanted to say, yes, son, that's me on the cover, but, uh, <laughs> but I couldn't, but it was just nice. pretty amazing. You should be he... able to sell yourself as like uh, cartoon-drawn Lorenzo Lamas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very cool. All right, so we don't have time for pleasantries, and but we do want to say, Zach, uh, you know, it's been great knowing you for the last five years. It's going to be great knowing you for the next five and forever onwards and all that good stuff. And we wish you nothing but the best with the the blog and all those other good things and all the other projects you might have going, which can be found at thelightningbugslayer.com. dot com. Yes, always. When we have tons of stuff going on for this month, I have lots of great stuff going on for the month of August. So check you, back you, all the time. Sorry, Zach, you got a great thing going on with a lot of heavy hitters in the blogosphere. I do. I have a series coming up called uh, Why uh, Genre Matters. Uh, each uh, It'll be an, uh, an eight-part series. Uh, each time, genre will be filled in by a different genre. Uh, and I've got uh, Christine Makepeace from uh, Paris Cinema, Todd Cawley from The Gentleman's Blog, uh, The Cinemascus, Justin Oberholzer, uh, Christy Jett from Being Christy Jett, um, and just uh, Brian Sarr, uh, the uh, yeah. better now, you know, uh, we, Rupert Pupkin. Yep. Is uh, that Black Alice riding up on a bike behind you? <laughs> yeah, it is. He's going to come in here and be like, wrap it up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, and uh, But yeah, many more people uh, come. It's going to be a great thing. We're going to explore genre film. I'm going to have a ton of great reviews. A lot of my uh, old features from all the five years are coming back again. So nice. come back and enjoy that. And, and thanks, everybody in the audience, for your support. I know I have a lot of, of readers out there, and I know I've gotten a lot of readers because of The Gentleman's Guide. And, and again, thank you guys. Oh man, it's our pleasure. You're, you know, a dear friend, and and uh, we love what you do, and it's and we should try to make this a yearly thing for our anniversary to get together and yeah. and drop some knowledge, man. It's we got we got to bring a bring a real good kind of pantheon type film uh, next year to Sons of Steel. We got to find another steel in the title, man. Yeah, pressure is already building. <laughs> so next week uh, we'll be doing something a little special. I'll be out of town, so uh, look forward to that. We'll announce it. I'll let Will announce it on the uh, page when he gets it all settled and everything else, but. Uh, yeah, until then, I'll say, you know, great talking to you guys as always, and uh, adios. Adios, dude. <laughs> adios. Thanks for listening. You can find The Gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call The Gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email The Gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 